Welcome to the Advisor Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon. I am here today with my friend and co-host, John H. Curry. Uh, John, I'm excited about this one. Uh, this is actually going to kick off a four-episode series that we're going to do on, uh, on presentations, both in the sales conversation and in front of the room and tie it all together. I think it's going to be really powerful for folks. So really glad to be back here with you again. Same here, Steve. And I'm looking forward to this because these are the things, these are the skills that if you develop them and you work on them, you practice them, you can really, really collapse time and help your clients faster and make more money faster. Let's talk about what you just said there. What do you mean by collapse time? Well, in my field of financial advising, I see people who take way, way too many meetings to get progress made. I, I see colleagues around me that would take four or five meetings before they even approach the subject of the product they're trying to sell. Uh, I believe, I'm not kidding at all. I believe that should be done in the first, if not the first, maybe the second appointment. I'm, I'm, there's no way that I'm going to meet with you without you knowing what to expect next, period. There's always the next step. What's next? What's next? What's next? Because if the answer is going to be no, when do I want to hear that? Right now. I just soon hear it now. Goodbye. I hate your guts. Thank you very much. I love you too. Bye. Yeah. It didn't get any better with time. No. No, it's not age well. Sometimes it will. It depends on where they are. But I call that an almost no. That's not really a no. It's a no, I think. Right. Okay. Well, let's let's dive into this. Um, By the way, one more, one more thing. On the time collapsing concept too, and you turned me on to a book about that, if you recall. Yep. You gave me the book. And I went back and read it some more. But for, for me, I call it time compression until I read that book. But basically, anytime you can get in front of more than one person at a time, that's maximizing your time. So as we get into this presentations other than one-on-one, I'll expand why I do seminars so much and have since 1981. Well, so let's talk about what I would call the the three kind of venues for a presentation, so uh, or the three parts of a presentation. So yeah, you, you have your one-on-one presentations with a client. That's one that we're going to cover, and then you've got sort of selling from the front of the room, where you're you're selling to a group of prospects to get them in and, and get them to meet with you. Both of those are presentations, as you and I have discussed. They both sort of require that same sense of of theater, and so. I think of this in in sort of three ways. The the first is kind of thinking through the sales choreography. The the second is what I would call the sales conversation. In other words, exactly what it, what goes into that presentation. How do you how, how does that flow work? Um, and then the third is selling from from the front of the room, which I, I think is, is is a little bit of a distinct thing. And I know you and I both have a lot of experience with it. You more than than I do just by, by factor of time. But, um, you know, I think, I think there's some unique things there that will surprise a lot of people about the way that you and I do presentations that most people don't do. Yeah. Some of them they'll look at or hear about and they go, are you kidding me? I didn't think about that it's a, because it's so, such a uncommon way of doing things that uh, when you do it, even the prospective uh, client sitting in the audience says, I wasn't expecting that. And it lets their guard down. They go, wow, this is a real person. This is not some automatron talking to me. 
Right. So let's start with sales choreography. You want to define what that means to you and, and why people should be thinking about it? Well, I'll give it my best shot. If you go to a Broadway production, do you expect there to be some type of set or just a blank empty stage and they come out and ad lib? They usually do have a set, I've noticed. So if you went to see Les Mis Rob, which I've seen probably seven times between New York City and Toronto, if I got there and there was no set, just a blank stage, and these actors come out in street clothes, I don't care how good the lines are, am I in the moment? I don't Absolutely. think so. No. In fact, they've lost me already because it's not, it's not what I expected. So when somebody comes into my office, my choreography is I know what I want them to see when they come in the door. I know what I want them not to see. As I'm looking around my office right now, there's nothing. I do mean nothing on the walls, double checking to make sure there's nothing up here that would imply John Curry, great salesman, super salesman. It's all about either uh, history. It's about civic clubs that I've been president of. Uh, it's it's a master's degree diploma, COU diploma, CHSC diploma, things like that. So the sales choreography to me is everything that happens when they pull their car in the parking lot. And I do mean the parking lot. This morning on my way in, I saw two pieces of trash. I picked it up, walked over to the dumpster and put it in it. A young guy behind me says, Mr. Curry, why would you do that? Why would you pick the trash up? I said, because obviously the dumb ass in front of me didn't do it. Because somebody else came in first and they didn't pick it up. So I did. Now, if that's too harsh for people, too bad. But, you know, clean up. Do what you got to do, because when people come in, that's the first impression. I, I can see you. They can't see you, but you're, you're grinning. What are, what, what are you grinning about? Uh, I'm just thinking, I think you gave me a thing about Walt Disney. I don't know if I read it in that book or, or I heard it somewhere else, but Walt Disney was famous for going around, and if he'd see the tiniest speck of trash inside one of the parks as he was walking through, he'd pick it up. I mean, and it was expected of all of the top executives and still is, I think, to this day. Yep. I mean, they are a cast member just like the lowliest cast member. And the purpose is to create the environment that they are trying to create. And everybody's responsible for it. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm smiling now because I remember one time I probably bugged the daylight side of you. You remember when I was in uh, Anaheim at MDRT and I would take pictures of all these quotes, the signs and send them to you? Yes. <laughs> My wife wondered. Why is he texting you? <laughs> like, are you having an affair with John I don't know about? Because I love the Walt Disney quotes. My favorite, my absolute favorite is the one where he says, the best way to get started is to stop talking and start doing. Absolutely. That's kind of how we got this podcast going. <laughs> it is, my friend. <laughs> so um, so uh, you start in the parking lot, but but it carries through from there as someone comes into the building and then into your office. And the only space that I can truly control is what in my office, I can't control the reception area. I can't control everything else, but I can make sure that when you come down the hall to my office, that my staff has been educated as to how to bring you in. You want me to get into that? Yeah, I think, well, just kind of give us an overview of, okay. of that process. We're going to go in deeper in the next episode 
specifically on sales choreography because there there's so much much depth here with what you do that that I don't think we could do it justice in the time we have. I, I'll be candid. I could teach a whole day on it. I just know. And have in the past. I just don't want to get on airplanes so much and do that anymore. But uh, for me, I'll simplify it. When people come in the door and they come down the hall, I want April, Jay, or Audie to have a chance to chit-chat with that person so they get to know my staff, my team, we call it. I don't call them staff or employees or my teammates. I'm not in this little conference room when they come in. For years, I've made it a point not to be in here when you walk in the door. I'm going to be down the hall. Most time, I've gone to the restroom, wash my face, brush my teeth, come in. I feel refreshed. And when I walk in the door, I feel the door frame. I stand in the door so that they can finish their conversation, whatever it is. Sometimes it's just a moment. Sometimes it's several moments. Nine times out of 10, the person that is waiting to see me, if they've already sat down, they'll stand up. If I know them, it's a big hug or handshake, whatever. And so what happens, it sets the tone. Because whatever their mindset was while driving here, they might have been arguing about something. I want that mindset to be changed where their state of mind is, wow, now we're with John, this is going to be fun, we're going to learn, and we're going to be productive and make better use of our time and money. That's what I'm trying to choreograph, Steve, so that when they get here, I don't care if they've been arguing about politics, I want them to set that aside because now they know they're in a safe haven with a trusted counselor that can help them. That's what I want. So you're not rushing into the meeting last minute? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. You've thought through every bit of this. We're going to get in, into more, but uh, no, it gets it gets better. I can even get into what I say when I sit down almost every time, what happens along the way to guide them, to give them the freedom that they're in control. For example, the first thing I'll say is, wow, folks, so good to see you. I'm looking forward to our time together. Speaking of time, what time do you have to walk out of here, Steve? And they'll tell you. You know, twelve forty-five or whatever. Well, I've got all day. I don't. My next appointment comes in at two, so can we need, we need to have a hard stop at one forty-five? Is, is that okay with you? Now, what have I done? You, you've you've set the boundaries of the appointment. You've set the, the the deadline, and you've gotten them to buy into all of that. Yep. And then next, I'll say now, Steve. And Aaron, what would you like to accomplish in the time we have together today? How can I bring value for you? I almost always use those words. I might vary it a word or two, but not much. That's my opening line in the Broadway show. Yeah, well, it, it's important to know your lines. And it's one of the reasons that I call this sales choreography. It really is choreographing the show. Every time somebody comes in to have a, a meeting with you, you're putting on a show. Absolutely. That's and, what, they deserve, and they deserve the best. They deserve the best show. Absolutely. It's got to be, you know, if you go to Broadway and you've paid for that ticket, you are you don't care that this is the 4,000th running of the show. You want it to look like it's opening night. Yes. That ticket. And you deserve for it to be like that because you're that ticket. And that's and, what I think they deserve. <laughs> and, they, and they pay too. What they pay with. The time. most precious asset is our time. So time. I tell people, look, our time is the most important thing we have. So my job 
And my team's job is to make sure we don't waste your time. So when you come in that door, we've got to make sure that we are ready. Now, I don't, uh, I'm going to be clear. I had a situation happen just yesterday that resulted in a rather large annuity sale that happened on the moment. I mean, literally spur of the moment because of something that I saw. And I said, oh my God, we've got to change the agenda. We have something here that we can increase your income by almost $1,000 a year. It was, it was a 9% increase. Would you like to have that? She goes, absolutely. I said, well, we need to change the agenda, if you don't mind, and cover that first while I've got April here to help us paperwork-wise. So let me tell you the negative first. So I told her the negative. She says, I can live with that. I said, you want to do it? She said, I do. So, okay, so we took care of it. But so I don't have everything scripted. I want to make sure that's clear. So I don't do a lot of pre-planning for a case in advance. I want to hear from you, and we will do what I call co-create the agenda. It's really interesting you said that because I've worked with some advisors who spend a lot of time creating a plan before the client really even comes in. Um, but you don't really do that. I never do that. Two reasons why. why. Why should I put all of my time and effort in doing that until I know that I have your buy-in? Yeah. How, about if, how, about if I, how, how about if I do it this way like I did today? The same lady came back and asked me to review her legal documents before she sees her attorney on Monday. Now think about that. She's going to see the attorney on Monday, but she wants me to review the documents. I'm not a lawyer, and I told her that. Then she tried to pay me. I said, no, you can't pay me. Finally, I said, actually, I'm hungry. You can pay me. Buy me lunch. So she spent like $8 on me for lunch at Sonny's Barbecue. But while sitting here today, I said, I'm seeing three things that if we made these changes, it would do everything you say you want in this legal document. She said, what do you mean? As you have two beautiful granddaughters, they're 21 years old. You told me you would leave them all this money. Why would you wait until you die to do that? Why don't we structure some things today where you know you can help them today? Just go ahead and give them this money that you have with me. This money over here, why don't we move that into two more annuities, two separate accounts? Your money while you're living, the day you die, it goes to them, and they have an income. They've got basically a pension that's prepaid in advance. They're only 21 years old. If they leave it alone, they'll have substantial income. She says, how do we do that? I said, we're not going to do it today. We're going to take care of this document. But if you want it now at lunch, what do you think she asked me to do? She wanted to know how all that worked, didn't she? She said, when can we get this done? She said, I figure I can do about 100, maybe 150,000 per grandchild. I said, okay, next week we'll talk about it. A little bit of a takeaway, but yet she's ready to go. So I want the flexibility, Steve, that I'm not rigid, present something. And I'll tell you why I went this way. Let me just tell you about a faux pas I made. Really embarrassing, but it's the truth, so I'm going to share it. Maybe people can learn from it. I had a gentleman come in. I was all set to convince him to convert his term life insurance to whole life insurance. I didn't take the time to ask him how things were in his world. I said, look, I know you're a very busy guy. Let me get right to the point. And I go, I make this beautiful presentation. I mean, it was superb. A masterpiece. He said, John, I'd love to do that. Well, I take that as a yes. But he says, but I can't. I lost my job yesterday. And here I am jumping into a sales presentation when what I should have said was, Steve, so nice to see you. How are things in your world? How can I bring value today? Then I would have known that he lost his job yesterday because he said, well, my world sucks right now, John, because I lost my job. 
then I wouldn't have done such a stupid thing as make a sales pitch when the guy was in pain, would I? No. So I want the flexibility and I want the humanity that goes with that flexibility. That's what I want. There's an awful lot of wisdom in, in that little 30 second audio clip. Um, and it's one of the reasons that I've valued our, our time. I've learned so much about sales just from sort of hanging around you at, you know, we have breakfast a couple times a month and you will tell me of a sales conversation you've gone through. And one of the things that, that comes through that is that, that the sale is, well, your goal is to make a sale and you're clearly very, very successful at it uh, by any measure in the industry. Um, the the sale isn't always the first objective. The person is the first objective. And then the sale is the, the natural result of focusing on the person. Oh, no doubt. People first. Take care of the people first. Look, I, I look um, in, the, in the medical field. We talk about the Hippocratic Oath. What's the first rule? First, do no harm. So same thing for us, guys. Do no harm. Get to know the person but have some humanity about it. Just think of a doctor with a bedside manner of a rattlesnake like I had recently. I, I, you don't want that. You, you, you want to be firm, but you don't want to be so mean and tough. You know, you want to be approachable, friendly. And then I call it likable. If you're likable and people like being with you, they'll, li- they'll usually listen. Now, some won't. Some won't. So kind of circling back around, we've got these three components of sales conversation. We've got sales choreography. We've got the conversation itself. You've touched on a little bit of that and how you do it. We're going to dive in. We're going to have a whole episode where um, I'm basically going to make you walk us through your entire sales conversation. So that, that folks, ought to be, that ought to be fun. It should be fun. <laughs> um, folks, that's one you'll want to take notes on. And, and uh, if you're having trouble in that area, I'm, I'm going to guess you could probably just model what John does. I, I've actually done that in my own business completely different. It works pretty darn well. Uh, By the way, I want to call you on that. I heard you say last time we were together that uh, you got, you could attribute a $50,000 uh, little check in your pocket. Oh, where's my commission on that? Checks in the mail. Yeah, right. I believe that. I want to see it. <laughs> Glad I could help you, buddy. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll bring you another bottle of Glenlivet. How about oh, that? Uh, that'd be great. As long as you share it with me. I'll give it to you. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, so, so we'll do a deep dive on that. But the third piece that we haven't touched on today, and I want to just kind of give everybody just a, a little bit of an overview because these all fit together. I think that's one of the reasons that I thought it was important that we talk about them today. Um, there's a thread that has to run through all of these to make it successful. And the third piece is, is selling uh, in, you know, in, on a stage, selling in front of a group of people. Um, and you've been doing this at a very high level for a very long time, but if you get the appointment there, the performance that they see there has got to be congruent with the performance that they're going to see when they get in the office, the conversation that you're going to have. If you do that presentation, right, it actually tees up the other two to be successful. So talk a little bit about presentations in front of a group. And, and I think maybe the most the, the best place to start there is some of the different ways you can do that. Cause it's not just all about having a seminar that you host. Oh no, let's talk about something you said earlier. I'm gonna go back to my notes because I didn't want to interrupt you. You made a comment about one-to-one. 
Well, see, I believe in doing presentations on one to many, another way of compressing the time. So do I want to tell my story one time to one person or in front of the room, whether it be literally in front of a room, like in our, our conference center where I have 98 people, you know, in the room, 65, sometimes 20, sometimes 10, but a lot of times, you know, 70 plus people. Or on a webinar, like April and I did on Wednesday, where I think we had 30 people on the webinar. I'm not quite sure, but that's one to 30. Well, if I can do that, then I am leveraging my time, aren't I? Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> also, the other thing I have, being in front of other people, I have energy and synergy. Because if I can capitalize on other people's energy in the room and just one person says, hey, man, I've been coming to your seminars for 15 years. I love it. I learn something new every time. Well, guess what? Other people just heard that. You can't buy that type of promotion. So if I got other people around who know me, like me, trust me, that will speak up, I just got powerful, powerful, non-testimonial testimony. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, they have every right to say those things. Um, and, you know, you can't use testimonials, but, but you know, the, the, the regulators, and, and I'm not knocking what, what they've asked you all to do and the restrictions they've put on. I know there's good reasons for that, but uh, they certainly can't stop anyone from making a spontaneous comment. Correct. Yeah, at the same time. If the person says, well, John Curry made me a thousand percent interest last year. Well, I have an obligation. Well, first of all, he's exaggerating. It was only a, you know, a reasonable interest rate. But people, let me tell you, when I do the, let's start with seminars. When I do seminars, I always try to have, and you've been to several of seminars, I try to have a balance. I want a mixture of existing clients who've been with me forever. Uh, then I, because I want the ability to say, you know, Steve, you've been a friend and a client of mine for, X number of years. What are your thoughts on this? And then, so what I've done is I have established that I'm not a fly by nighter. I've been around a long time. Uh, and there's so many ways to incorporate those people in the presentation. At the same time, during my refreshment time, which is a half hour, you will get a chance to rub shoulders and chit chat with people. So if you're new, you meet someone who's been a client for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And if there's someone there you know, which happens a lot, Hey, Steve, I, I didn't realize you were a client of John's. Yeah, I've been a client of John's for 30 years. 30 years? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, well, this is our first time coming to a seminar. What do you think? Well, I think you ought to sit down and enjoy yourself. You'll learn a lot. He's a good man. Sale made. I just don't know what it is yet. Yep, absolutely. And it's not that that doesn't just apply for you. I've got another client uh, in totally different business, and they put on very large uh, seminars, two-day seminars every quarter. We always, when we're marketing those things, we're making sure that her clients are there to the point that she will gift them tickets to the seminar. She will add bonuses to encourage them to attend because having that mixture is is vital. <clears throat> They'll do all the selling for you if if you do it right. And you know, in one of the previous episodes, we talked about the the three sales that are made. The first being they've got to buy into the, the problem and the fact that there is a solution. And the second being they, they need to buy you. You've got to be their guy or their gal. Well, if you don't get those made, you're not selling a product. You're not making any money. And if you can create a situation where your existing happy clients 
can interact with your future clients in the same room like that, those first two sales will get made very quickly. You're right about that, but I'll tell you what I would challenge you on, as much as I love you, I'll tell you what I'm working on. I want them to buy me before they even know they got a problem or care about a solution. Because yeah. if I can get them to buy me, people come in and say, look, you're our guy. Tell us what to do. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I always downplay. Well, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to coach you on what you might want to consider doing, and then you will make your, your own decision. Well, I, I think that's powerful. Where I'd push back a little bit is I don't even think they're going to pay any attention to you until they have an inkling that something in their financial world isn't right. You're right, but I'm going to disagree just to be uh, controversial because I think, <laughs> as, I think as great as I am, everyone should love me just because I'm me and so lovable. I might not give you that Glenn Livett. I think it's going to your head. (laughs) Well, um, John, this has been great. So next episode, we're going to cover sales choreography. Okay. And, um, and, and I want to go through all the little things you do um, because there are layers to this and you didn't put them all in place at once. So I don't want people to get freaked out. Like they got to have this overnight, but you want to start working towards this. There are, simple practical things that you can do right now that we'll talk about next time. Can we give them one right now to help them? Yeah, go ahead. So here's one you can do right now and listen to me carefully, very carefully. Look at your walls in the hallway coming to your office and in your office, take down every plaque, every trophy. And I'll repeat it. Every plaque and every trophy that implies that you're good at sales. If it says million dollar producer, get it out. Put that in your little private office. I have a stand up desk area behind me. All that kind of stuff is in there. We don't have anything in the client arena, client stage that would imply you're a great salesperson because they're scared to death already. Have stuff that's patriotic, have stuff that we'll talk about later what's in mind, but just, just get rid of that stuff immediately and watch what happens to how they feel about you when they come in your space. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Great talking to you again. I always learn a lot when we're together and I hope everybody listening learned a lot too. Uh, If you're enjoying these episodes, do us a favor, share this with the people in your office, share this with an advisor that that you care about um, so that they can help as well. And go over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating, leave us a review. We'd love to get the feedback. We don't get paid for this. We're doing this for fun, but we would love to hear that it's making an impact for you. So let us know. Let me interrupt one more time. We are getting paid for it because we're getting psychic pay. We are having fun. We're helping people out there across the nation that we'll never meet. And you know what, guys? You want to leave a legacy that's not just about how much damn money did you make? Whose lives did you impact? Amen. All right, my friend. I'll see you soon. All right, buddy.